because oftentimes a lot of people are not leading their almost authentic life, right? We all, uh, it's taken me a while to get here as well to live my authentic life, but we're kind of following the Joneses or we're, you know, we literally are thinking we want the material wealth when in solidarity, we actually question it. And then we're like, wait, that's actually not what I really want. I know that all of us, every single one of us, depart planet Earth with absolutely nothing. <laughs> Zero, nada, nix, nichts. But we somehow believe we need more and more and even more. Thinking that all of that more will make us happier. Remember the saying, don't you? Happiness is an inside job. It literally has nothing to do with what you own. I only learned that when I reached the magical age of 44. About as perfect a middle age as you could get. I still aspire to become a minimalist. Because I know, or rather I've learned, <laughs> that my stuff around me doesn't make me happy in the slightest. Okay, maybe my electronic Tycho drum gets pretty close, but only when I'm drumming it. <laughs> Artie does some amazing work, and I know you will love her story. Enjoy. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Hi, Artie. How are you today? Hi, Michael. I'm doing well. Great. How about you? Thank you for asking. I'm doing really well. My wife and I just came back from a two-hour course that we went to, um, and it was it was all about the science of life. And oh my God. it's it's going to run. It's like we're going to go there every month for two years, Artie. So, yeah, we feel really motivated by what you know we discussed. That, you know, I'm going to look this up when we're done with our call. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the title. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll, I'll have to share it with you. It's, it's a little bit unusual. I'll t I'll tell, if we have time, I'll tell you a bit more about it. But it's not about me. It's about you today, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Well, that's your story for today. We learned that you had a great experience. but Yeah, yes. we did. We did. We did. So, Artie, I, I normally start with one really open question, and that is, uh, Artie, please share with us your story and how you got to where you are today. Well, Michael, first of all, I want to start by acknowledging a gratitude for you having me on your show and also for what your interface is about. I think storytelling is such a beautiful art form. That's mm. how we got history. That's how we, that's how we interface with our children, with our families, with our communities is stories. And You're stories right. us. So thank you for having an interface of just storytelling because most podcasts have you know, it's, I just love the fact that that's your interface. Thank you. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> I hope so, because it's yeah. yours. So where do we start? Let's do the beginning of time, the beginning of time. Um, I, I grew up uh, in Northern Virginia, which is not too far from D.C., probably 45 minutes. Well, no longer because of traffic, but back in those days. 
Yeah. Um, I grew up to immigrant uh, parents. My my dad actually uh, was studying here because my grandfather on my dad's side was um, he worked for the U.S. Embassy. I mean, he worked for the Indian Embassy and they had a um, consulate program with the U.S. Embassy. So he traveled here. He had traveled to um, Saigon, traveled to London. He was really all over in terms of international travel. So my dad actually went to high school here, uh, did college, and he was an engineer by trade. And then in those days, um, and especially even now, um, he actually had an arranged marriage, but he got to meet my mom uh, when he went over, got to meet. And in some traditional Indian families, you don't actually get to meet the person you're married until the day that you're married. Uh, that did not happen for my parents. They actually had some time to 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 meet each other. And arrangement just means like, to be honest with you, Michael, arrangement is kind of like when we have friends. It's like when you have a friend who's single and somebody else, it's just um, in, in that definition, my parents really, my grandparents kind of knew of each other. My mom's dad was a, a, a police officer pretty far up in the, the, um, the Indian government. And so they knew of each other because of their job status, to be honest with you. And so yeah. um, in that regard, uh, you know, I think I think that idea of of Indian culture and, and, and it always actually helps me to realize that we need to not be so fixated. I got fixated on even how I met my husband, <laughs> like um, not to become fixated on how we meet our life partner, because. Um, and I'll get into that in a minute. My, my mom and dad didn't get a chance to have a long marriage. My dad passed when I was 12. So my mom and dad were actually married 14 years. But I can tell you that that the way that I know that he loved my mother and the way that she knew he loved him was how well he planned in his short 41 years of his life. Like just the idea of of, of really planning well and things that a, a normal 30 and 40 year old wouldn't think about, like mm. having a life insurance in place, um, really thinking about, um, you know, trying really hard to work so hard to make sure that the house was in a good position. And, you know, Michael, a lot of my work that I do is in advocacy around the story that my mom, my, my dad in building good legacy, then my mom who learned from his example when her, on her passing, and I'll get into all that, but in her passing created strong legacy. So now I want to carry that forward for my own family, but also the work that I do now is all about legacy and paying it forward mm. so that we, you know, we create these systematic things in place um, and it's possible. And I literally just got off a call talking about the idea of, pre of, of really planning well. Um, and so back to, back to the, 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 they got married, they had me lived in Northern Virginia. Um, so I grew up in the suburbs of, of Virginia, um, was surrounded by just community, you know, you really, really, my grandparents, um, were, were close by and my, my uncles and my aunts were close. And then of course, just family friends become, um, become part of that. And I remember always getting the ability to play outside, which I so always want kids to be able to do now. I know. Um, so I just remember, 
my mom would ask me to come by at dusk. And like when I got, when I came home late one day, I got in massive trouble, but thank God my grandparents from India were visiting. Cause they were like, just lay off of just, they, they were like, it's okay. It's okay. Forgive her. It'll be okay. But I just remember those days of being playing outside and having so much fun with the neighborhood kids and kind of like the idea of, of youth and fun. And, and then, like I shared with you, my, my dad actually, um, yeah, he did pass early because, uh, he had a rare, uh, autoimmune disease and he actually was a case study here at NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health, but he didn't actually, we found out later he didn't, uh, that wasn't his cause of death, um, but he would have eventually had a shorter lifespan because it basically is a disease that is attacking your immune system. And so I just remember a lot of visits in and out of the hospital because he would have to have constant surgeries, um, you know, and that kind of shaped a lot of, a lot of what, again, of what is happening now in my own, yes. my own career path and my life path. Um, so remember that a lot. And then it was, I don't have any siblings. So it was just my mom and me. And, uh, I will tell you, Michael, those years were a little challenging because of the fact that we lost a lot of, we lost, you know, when, when someone passes, not only is it the loss of that life, but a lot of the life and people talk about the lot of, lot of loss or changes in relationships. So we witnessed that as well. And so we had built a lot of great, great relationships, which I'm so thankful for because they're a big driving force in my life now. But there was also these changes that were occurring. I was going into my teenage years trying to figure out and process. Of course, that's always a hurdle, those adolescent years. Um, And so, um, you know, and I didn't realize I was, I was also grieving in a really crazy way that was not always the healthiest way. I think, you know, I spent I think I always carry with me that people tell you not to cry or be sad. And as a child, you take that on you and those messages stay forever. So I think I just, you know, like most of us shoved it inside, bottled yeah. it up. Um, but my mom and I became very, very close. And, and I was just so grateful that, that we were always, I, I was always very close to my parents, but the idea that I really, um, was so grateful for, for, um, the time with her. Um, and then I just knew I always loved kids. I still have my journal and, and, and this journal that I, we had done in fifth grade. And I had at that time written that I wanted to be a pediatrician, but through the years, I realized I went uh, to undergrad first year sitting in this bio class. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I really want to do this. Medical school's cut out for me. And that one class was enough for me to just take a different trajectory. And I always loved my psychology class from, from, I'm sorry, high school. It was so, it was just so fascinating. I loved human behavior. Why do people do what they do? Yes. Brain. Like I've always been fascinated Mm. way before, way before. Michael, everybody and their mother loves mental health and psychology. This is like yes. so many. And so I pursued a degree in um, psychology and um, and I also got to do a minor in international studies and peace and conflict resolution. And that was a really, really great program to, to 
those conflict skills and learning all of that become so critical. So those two, the, the, they both connected really well. Yeah. It's like psychology, you know? Um, and then I went on to actually, uh, wanted to see if I wanted to pursue education and in terms of teaching. So I became a kindergarten assistant and all through college, I worked in early childhood preschool settings, um, because it was really great for the schedule, love kids. Um, and it was really a, a really great experience went on. And I decided at that point, if I really love this kindergarten assistantship, then I would go to grad school for education. And so mm-hmm. I did actually really enjoy it. And so I went and then I taught for seven years in the elementary ed setting. Wow. Yeah. But in the meantime, I was getting a little itchy because the kids, I was always fixed more on the behavior, always fascinated by that behavior. See, these themes keep coming up of certain themes and I'm fascinated by the behavior. And also I was known as a softy. And so sometimes the kids who were considered sensitive or a little bit of a, you know, emotional challenge, whatever you want to call them, whatever it is. Yeah. They would come to my classroom because I am the big softy. And <laughs> so, so, um, and those years, then what happened was I was so fast. I was like, I really want to go into mental health counseling. So then I, I was pursuing a clinical health degree, clinical mental health. And Michael, those years did really, really impact my teaching. I became so hyper aware of how to teach better. And I mean by teaching better, like teaching in all of our multiple intelligence ways, like Howard Gardner's multiple intelligence theory, if anyone ever wants to look it up, is so awesome because we all learn in different ways. It's not just visual or auditory. We have musical, spatial, like, excuse me, all of these mathematical, logical, um, artistic, all of these components that we're missing sometimes. And so I started to realize how to engage better with the kids and also to check emotionally, like that emotional radar, always being in check of like, half the time these kids are hungry, right? And then we don't even realize. So always going to that route is what my program really helped us to do. And I became a better listener, honestly. Um, And then I worked in a bunch of different settings, uh, And I I loved all of them. Honestly, I worked in transitional housing with some, that was my internship with, with women. Um, And then I worked um, in private practice and got to work with children and families and had great supervisors. And then um, I was in a supervisor role where I was able to help um, school-based staff to, to provide services, love doing that. Um, and, you know, and that part has been career wise, that part has been so exciting, had been exciting. Yes. Um, and then career wise, I always had thought of myself staying home with my kids if I ever had the opportunity. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. My husband's in there somewhere in this story. Yes. Is. If I had the opportunity, I did want to stay at home for a few years. And, you know, I always say if you put out your intentions to the universe or you really put them out there, you think them, if you really believe in them or give them a little bit of like positivity, back to positive psychology, 
a lot of times, some shape or form, they do end up happening. So I had the good fortune and my husband was very supportive. I did stay home um, with my children while I was still doing webinars and seminars and still staying active in the field, just not working clinically all the time of those, those hours. I was working 10 to 15 hours um, seeing clients and then doing some webinars, but not full time. And I'm so grateful because those years, I do think shaped the relationship with me and my children and also my mom. My mom was yes. a big part of helping raise our children because my husband was traveling a lot for work. And so our, I just know that if, if I can honestly say if people have the choice, it's so powerful to have those zero to two or three, if you can make it to three and then if they're ready for that school environment, if you can give even half time, I really am seeing the impact because I see it in my own family and my own children that that impact made. Um, and it's not because I'm a teacher, Michael. I just know that I just read to them all the time. I took them to library classes. I, you know, I cultivated friendships with other moms who then had children the same age. So there was a lot that got to happen. And I feel like I'm so grateful for that experience. I know moms are so strapped now, working moms who are trying to make it so that they can have their child have these experiences. Yes. But then they're either in the daycare setting and or they're somebody else is raising them, but they feel like they could, you know, there's just so much discord. And so in part of my story, I've, I'm very grateful. And I do not take it lightly that I was given the gift of being able to do that. Um, do you think sure. just a, just a quick question on that? I mean, do you think society, you know, like capitalist society, still hasn't really got to grips with that that nurturing that needs to happen by working mothers, and you know, allow working mothers to do that nurturing for the no, you know, for longer than people are suggesting it should happen today. Michael, 100%, 100%. And use the word capitalist and it is like, yes, yes. Because, you know, we do thrive on productivity and money making and all of this business, but it hasn't highlighted the fact that everything in life is relational, Yeah, you know, and money is energy and having this relational piece. And I can honestly tell you that that is 100%. Your, the answer to your question is yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that we we have foregone looking at the relational component on uh, supporting a working mother so that she gets to, and, and honestly, Michael, some people like I knew that that was something I wanted. A lot of times, a lot of moms are not given choice, but some of them are on the margin where if yeah. they had a family discussion, they could have really decide what it is for themselves. So that's why I, I highlight this because it is something that I always, when I work with parents and families, I always help them to evaluate, is it something that they actually want or they, can they cut costs somewhere to make what they want to make work? Mm. You know, um, because, because oftentimes a lot of people are not leading their almost authentic life, right? We all uh, it's taken me a while to get here as well to live my yeah. authentic life, but we're kind of following the Joneses or we're, you know, we literally are thinking we want the material wealth. Yes. When 
in solidarity, we actually question it. And then we're like, wait, that's actually not what I really want. Well, we're conditioned, aren't we? This is what happens. We're so conditioned. So we don't even know that we're going down that route. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because of that conditioning, it means we've got to continue working. We've got to continue earning. We've got to continue getting all the things that we need. We need to continue showing we're on nice vacations, you know, because the others are doing it. And then we want children on top of that, then they suffer. I'm sorry to use the word suffer, but I'm kind of, they suffer in some way. Mm-hmm. And that going around the whole piece that you were saying about mental health, then that mental health issue with the kids shows up in school and in work, in later life. And you kind of go, whoa, we've got a massive mental health problem. We need to prevent it. Well, we're not looking at the you know, the cause in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and everything's about relationships. In my opinion, relationships and communication are key. Yes. I feel like that is something that I realize are huge. And so if we don't have those two in place, you know, um, and that has become a lot, big part of my story is realizing that everything is relational. Like my relationships personally and professionally, I re I realized without, without connectivity, what do we really have? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so career wise, yes, I, I, I know I fixated a little bit on that concept of being at home, but I just want to take a minute. I also want to help that I concept of the stay at home mom. I actually did a seminar on this, a workshop, because I didn't want stay at home moms to feel like they weren't working. There was this, this quote that said, if you actually were supposed to be earning, it would be a minimum of $150,000 because of the time and the literally everything that is involved with that role as well. And so I, I am hugely passionate about the fact that we need to take away the stigma of like stay at home moms not working because taking care of our children, like what you just said, that is a beautiful gift of work and it's a labor of love and it should be acknowledged too. And capitalist society, yes, does say that money is the way that we show value. Yeah. Well, hello, actually relationships and healthy functioning individuals show value, which comes through like where, where you're saying all the way, starting from newborn, then, then leads to that healthy sense of self that then leads and carries forth. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I agree. Mm. I look at resiliency, um, Michael, a lot and resiliency in my opinion, doesn't come from it. They're, they haven't done studies on resiliency and money. Like it doesn't, it doesn't go right. No. We all need a certain amount to to have our needs met. And interesting fact, the average after there, I took a class on this. She's a professor at Yale and she does, her name is, I just forgot it. Uh, yeah, Lori Santos. She does work on positive psychology. As you can tell, I get talk about psychology all the time because I'm so passionate about it. But <laughs> yeah. after 75,000, don't quote me, it might've changed, but $75,000, your level of satisfaction in life is not increasing. No. So if you have more than that, it doesn't, it's not, they have done studies on this, which tells you, you need enough where 
you can take that vacation you're talking about or the things that you want to do, but you also are saving and you're taking care of your needs and yeah. living, you know, comfortably. Mm. Um, and so I believe I'm always further education. So of course, here we go. I, t- I got the second degree. I didn't think I, 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 in my back of my mind, I always thought it would be great for me to one day teach at the, at the, um, university level, because I would love to make an impactful change in many settings for myself and just hopefully it works for others. And so, um, you know, you realize their themes that theme came up in a few years ago. I was like, uh, I had the opportunity to help contribute in our, in our book. Uh, so I got to contribute a chapter. And so, uh, Michael, I was really humbled by the experience because in my college writing class, I, I like got like it, my, I got F's on all majority of my papers in college, <laughs> all marked red, terrible, you know, like awful. And there's a stereotype that Indian kids are all supposed to get straight A's and do really well in school. Well, here I am to tell anybody who's of age to say, I'm the kid who didn't always do well on tests. Sometimes I didn't do well, but but I will always remember that I, yeah, I was like, I, I'm, I'm never going to get good at this writing thing. I'm never going to want to do it. And then fast forward a few years later, somebody's asking me, oh, I was on her podcast. She helps um, authors do work on the side. And she said, would you like to contribute? I'm working on this writing. But I was like, wait, what? You're asking <laughs> me? Have you seen my writing? <laughs> she said, doesn't matter. When you have a story to tell and you can tell it, I can help along the way. Yeah. So I took her up on it because I say yes a lot. I do still say no to a lot of things, but I say yes to a lot more things because I'm like, why not? Keep your yeah. door right. Keep your mind and heart open. That's one of my favorite quotes. Keep your mind and heart open. And so yeah, Michael, after that experience, I even debunked my, I, you know what? I just need to, if I can, if I, someone can believe me enough to let go of that belief, I can't write yes. and my own internal dialogue that came from that experience, then what's holding me back? So I started researching some PhD programs in psychology. And then I, I literally started uh, in my, my second year and I really, really am learning to I have to work twice as hard as probably anyone else to write a little bit better, but I think we're all reforming our writing. Um, But it reminds me of not shortchanging our dreams because dreams do start in childhood. They start when I'm giving you the story of, yeah, I'm not a pediatrician, but I work, I've loved it working with children and it's in there. Hello, it's Michael here. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. More to come. And I just wanted to quickly let you know about my other work, in case you didn't already know. I am involved with producing whiteboard animations for organizations so they can share better stories about their products or services. I also help business professionals get better at storytelling. I do this via in-person or online workshops just visit my website where you can find out a lot more. Just go to stayingaliveuk.com or you can contact me via the contact form on the homepage. Just fill in the details and an email will land in my inbox. 
And now, let's get back to the podcast. I said somewhere down the line that I really wanted to teach at a university level. So guess what? That creation of that story is in the works. I said that I wanted to to help, you know, I really wanted to help others. And now um, I, I, I found in the story, in my own story, a big part of my story is my relationship with my mom. So my mom in 2019, well, yes, in 2019, she was diagnosed. No, I'm sorry. 2018, she was diagnosed with cancer, stage four ovarian. And so through her journey, I went through researching different treatments, alternative health um, therapies, everything in terms of medical and then nutrition. I mean, you name it, like all of the gamuts, right? Because here you are wanting to help save save this physical life of somebody yes. that you love. You do everything. But in that process, I myself was becoming educated. Well, I've been vegetarian for 20 years, but after the, doing the research and then watching a life-changing movie for me personally, was called Forks Over Knives on Netflix. I then became vegan in the journey while, I'm, while she's also making a few changes. I mean, so we were doing a lot of um, juicing and different things in that natural um, health, health realm, but just realizing that I was fortunate to be able to be with her at her chemo appointments, but so many people who were coming on their own or we realize their stories of being on their own. Mm. Uh, you know, it's just very, very impactful because these doctor's visits are intense. And so I was able to go to the visits with her. I did help advocate. Like I would ask what I would do the research. And so a big part of what I do now is telling all of the clients I work with, especially to bring up age, some of our older our, our elders do not necessarily believe it's okay to ask questions from your doctor because we have to remember the trajectory of the timeline of when they were in healthcare. The doctor yes. was the expert. We have had a shift where the doctor is the partner in my in my body, right? And so I'm still in the driver's seat, but they're in my passenger, not like, so that shift. And, um, and so just grateful for that experience. So my mom had passed in, um, uh, uh, August of 2019. And so we had done a lot of the discussions around like, how do you want it to look? We pre-planned, she had already planned a lot of things ahead of time, but even got a lot of state of affairs in order. And she was given that privilege of time to do that, but again, had already planned really well, but I got to ask her questions on certain things. And, um, and so after she passes, I already believe in energy medicine for a very long time. I had done a Reiki training years ago and that training, like Reiki, if anyone doesn't know, is it's just the idea of um, energy healing through our hands um, and, and really being able to provide uh, light. Um, and I'm not defining it well, but it really is a great mechanism for, for, for healing. And so I was giving myself a self-treatment and in her room, she, uh, the Bhagavad Gita is the, is the Hindu text. She had her Bhagavad Gita small copy and inside of it falls. Like I'm literally, I just go in there into her room that day. And it's in October of 20. Yeah. A few months after she passed in 2019 and literally these, this paper falls out and it's these stages of like, like life written, like, 
birth and background, um, childhood, marriage, uh, marriage and children. I mean, all of these life stages. And if any of you have heard of Eric Erickson from psychology, he has written out these um, psychosocial life stages. It reminded me of life of, of Eric Erickson. I was like, my mom is so brilliant. And, and I know all these folks who she, she had her bachelor's, but they always, she always thought I wasn't smart enough. I guess you get this concept that education means smartness, which I don't think by any means, but I think a lot of people evaluate that. Um, I was like, you've always been brilliant to me, but then I see this, I'm like, oh my gosh, here's, and I look at this and oh my goodness, Michael, like literally things are falling to place because, because what energy medicine and healing can do is really help you to build your intuitive, your true intuitive self. So I literally put two and two together. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting messages from my mom to set up this nonprofit and organization, which is called the holistic life care. Dia is because my mom, every day of her life would light a jolt, um, and every day in the morning. And even though religiously is Hindu, I just remember we, I just grew up in a spiritual house. Like you literally use the relationship with God to ground you is how, and that has provided me a lot of comfort in my life. Um, and so the Dia is the logo came from the idea of that idea of light. And so uh, the website has my, has my mom's picture, my dad's picture. Cause I literally feel this reunification of them post-death. Cause I, I feel like people who really have that true love, you can just feel it. You know what I mean? And I feel yes. like they had, they had it for each other. Um, and then, uh, and, and the idea of these life stages. So I put something on my website on that um, because I, I took a photograph of that. Um, and it's like, it's like, you've heard of these stories. I never thought I'd be one, but out of loss or out of loss came a rebirth. And so I don't even know if it's a rebirth more than it, it, it's like a, it's like her spirit combined with my spirit took over where I get to live this place of service because now I realize that service is one of the most giving gifts that really fills up your cup. And, um, and so, and then in grad school, we had to make up a name of a, uh, a mock business. And so I called it love and light for kids. But when I looked it up in the business place, like it was already something was too similar. So I changed it a little bit. And I'm talking about this again about building connections because I literally think themes will come through your life and you don't even realize until yes. you, you know, and so that, so the business focuses on love and life for kids is designed for pri- providing parent, child, family support, support for early childhood educators. So a lot of, um, I have a lot of contracts that I do for wherever the need is. And then the holistic life care is coaching through the lifespan. So health coaching, um, helping with. Uh, uh, cancer support. And if you notice, I'm bringing up themes that have occurred in my own life or my mom's life or my family's life Uh, and uh, pre-planning. And so I have met a lot of great people in the last couple of years, even during the pandemic. um, And one of them is my strategic alliance partner. She has a, it's called pause for a moment is her, the name of her company 
and she is a funeral director. And we both took a death doula class together during the pandemic. There's like 300 people on this call, but there are a few that you always connect with. And we just connected. And so she, she and I both are in this desire to help uh, really debunk the myths of planning early, helping get our states of affair in order, um, you know, and building legacy because that's really important in her work because she's always looking at life backwards because that's what she does for a living in the funeral industry. And I bring that place because I have seen what good planning can do Yeah. in, in the comfort that it can provide your family when there's grieving going on. And Michael, everybody has something to leave behind. It's not about the, it's not about monetary assets. It's the fact that it's everything that we work so hard to build for. If we don't put it in place and have a plan, then what are we doing? Yeah. Um, and then I didn't share, of course, my, my husband, I'm, I, uh, I, I'm so grateful to him because he lets me do all the 10 million crazy things that I do, even though he thinks <laughs> I'm not. But um, uh, we've been married now 11 years and we have two daughters. And I'm so grateful because while I'm doing the crazy things in life, they provide me such grounding and, and joy. Even I find joy in doing all the work that I'm fortunate to do. They provide that grounding of just good old fashioned family fun. The fun that I grew up with that I, so cherish um uh and and so i've learned to live a lot of um my mom had this phrase of um enjoy your time she said it a lot especially uh especially during those terminal days but she always said it around enjoy your time and i started to process she's saying each moment is a gift as hard as it can be it is so challenging at times but find a way and so every time I get to a place where, I, you know, the daily hustle and bustle gets to all of us, I try to remember her voice and what she meant through all of her trials and tribulations. Like, what can we learn from those messages that are, that when those that we love who are no longer with us are always imparting their wisdom on how can we take them. And so I, uh, I try to make sure I incorporate that. Fabulous. Wow. <laughs> well done to you and also just to say sorry for your loss uh, with your mum and also your dad at a very young age and it's it's a fascinating listening to how things evolved it was just beautiful to witness how your trajectory or your journey you know, moved into different directions and you told it very, very well. And you could just visualize how certain life events made you very subtly change direction into, you know, where you are literally, where you got to today, <laughs> uh, as I said in my first question. And um, with, I suppose, it's not just that there's two pieces. If I'm, if I, I'm testing myself if I got it right, but I see as there's two parts now with the partner that you're working with as well is there is the kind of living part and how to get most out of life. 
but then there is also the planning part and what happens when energetically you're no longer here in a physical body and that actually we don't spend enough time on that second piece for sure because we take things for granted we don't want to look at that because that's bad news you know and the trouble is people that are left behind picking up the pieces i mean my aunt lost um i just to mention um you you'll like this my mother was indian and my father was dutch mm. um and my uncle uh I only ever ha had one uncle my father was only son and my mother had a a younger sister and a younger brother and uh, the younger sister died quite young uh lung cancer my mum died quite young um because of her heart conditions both people died young because of smoking related illnesses my uncle died not so young still relatively young 81 he died this month last year and i was emailing back and forth with my aunt who's in france and she said this is now a year on she's saying i'm still dealing with paperwork right now you know so the death of her husband is still raw she's still grieving you know a year on and she's still having to deal with all the paperwork and the legal side of it and although they did a lot of planning i'm sure they did but maybe they didn't quite do enough you know to not have to be bothered with all of that nonsense so it's really really important i don't think people pay enough attention to it and as you said it's not just the financial piece and the paperwork bit it's the energetic it's the you know what's left of that person's life you know i think you mentioned legacy early on too so <clears throat> so have i got that right so you're dealing with the living piece and the and the passing piece right um 100% and i i didn't and i do a lot of work with grief and loss loss um so when you're talking about your i, I was just thinking about your aunt you know she's processing and you know a year later anniversary grief hits you hard like you don't realize what's happening there's a lot of stuff that happens even years after someone's passed you'll feel things in your body because we do lodge we do lodge things in our body yes and so um and so yes yeah, sometimes when we're dealing with and you're right there's always there is some pieces to pick up after someone's passed um I also, right, but not to the degree where it can be a mess and a half where you can't actually process and 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 look at how your heart is hurting and your yeah. mind and your spirit are hurting, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and honestly, uh, you know, uh, Michael, I myself share my story openly. Like I, I remember i would think it was the fourth month after my mom passed i told my husband i'm like i have to go to the hospital like i literally felt achy and hurt and like i was going through and do you know what it was later on that that the so uh we had a for a year we were given through the bereavement through the hospice they they checked on me so the social worker said i think you were suffering from a broken heart but i literally thought something was wrong with me my heart yeah. was yeah 
I was like just achy and tired. And nobody tells you the fact that you're going to have physical symptoms too of manifesting loss in your body. And so a lot of my passion has come through. You know what? I don't want anyone to have to deal the same way with losing someone of not being able to process, you know? Yeah. hundred. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's an, it's a, you know, when, when I lost my dad, I was 25 and that was the first bit of grief that I experienced. And I was quite, I'd gone into workplace employment for quite a young age. So I've been very busy working and that was my focus and, you know, and there were lots of changes happening at work and I was very stressed by it and people being made redundant and I didn't cope very well with that. And then it was actually, I worked for an American company and I remember the guy that came over from the USA and he turned around to me and said, you know, change at work, if you have a lot of change at work, the way you've got to look at it is you have an interesting job. When you lose a family member, that's real change, you know, because, and I never knew what he meant because I hadn't lost a family member that by then. And then when I got to 25, I lost a family member. And then I went, now I know what he means. Yeah. You know, it's, it's totally different. You know, all the kind of stresses and change that happens with work and everything is okay. It's, it's, you know, we can deal with it. I mean, we, we often say we can't, we make a big deal of it, but actually it's just an interesting job. <laughs> Losing a family member, that's real change. So I've, I've never forgotten that. And so it allows me knowing that little bit of a story in my head when I hear someone's lost somebody, I know it's real change for them, you know? Thank so, you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, no problem. It's I, I think it's useful to share. And I think, you know, it's it's I think that's the other thing that people don't do enough of. Um, I mean, I'm. I'm lucky that, you know, all the family are OK. So for now, but you never know, it could change in a heartbeat and I think I've learned enough since that 25 year old that was couldn't deal with it and really struggled to deal with that grief. You know, I'm in a different place. It doesn't mean that grief won't, you know, a loss won't affect me. But I have learned different things about, you know, I've learned that we're in this physical body and there is an energy that is us, that is the host of that physical body. And that energy never dies, you know, that the body, the physical material, the soup that we walk around in of bones and blood and whatever, that that dies, but the energy never dies and and the memories never die. You know, those people are always in our hearts, always in our memories. They truly don't ever die. Um you know, it's not as final as people think it is. I yes, agree. you can't hug that person. You can't speak to them. But how many times do we say, as you've said today, 
my mother was speaking to me, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And we, oh, don't be silly. You didn't hear a voice. Yes, I did <laughs> hear a voice, <laughs> you know. And you yeah. go, well, how the hell does that happen? <laughs> and, you know, okay, we're on a bit of a kind of a businessy podcast, but actually people need to know that, need to learn this for themselves too, you know. We're, we're no different. We all have the same story. We all have the same experiences. Yes, people, times, places, events are all different, but essentially it's the same journey, you know, and the same challenges too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's why, that's why I talked about that idea of the coaching, like the lifespan. We all have that birth. We need, we need someone to support us when a baby is born, a newborn, right? Then we have that. Uh, parenting piece we all need a little bit of support with the parenting during those years yes. then we have college because in career look how many times we're in the wrong or you know or just someone who can say what do you really want to be doing so we have all these places where we just need some support and support yeah. comes in different sizes so yeah wow Artie um so how can people learn more about what you do get in touch with you you know, learn more about any courses or any support from you and your partner? Um, yes, for sure. So um, it is called Dia Holistic Life Care, D-I-Y-A Holistic Life Care. And um, our website is www.theaholisticlifecare.org. And um, yeah, everything's on there, points of contact. Um, and I, yeah, if you Google my name, you'll find something that I've done somewhere. <laughs> so that's some beautifully one. written book of oh, yeah. contribution. It is on the Amazon, the authorship book. Um, we all, it was a great experience. We got to share stories like our own personal stories, like we get to do with you, Michael, just in written form. Great. What's the name of the title of the book? Oh, it's called Dare to Be, um, Dare to Be Authentic. And it was volume six, finding your purpose. So of course my purpose came through losing my mom and it all coming together. What my purpose is, is, yeah. is serve through, is to serve. What was your mom's name or what is your mom's name? I should say. Uh, my mom's name. So it's others, but like people who did not pronounce it. So she would tell my name's Addie and her nickname was Arun for our family members. Arun. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Well, thank you, Mum, for sending Artie to my podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And thank you. Yes. Was there anything else that I didn't ask that you would have liked to have mentioned at all? Well, Michael, not a not a question. I just want to share that we all have I said it earlier in the beginning, we all have stories. We're tied together by stories. My story has no bigger value than yours, or we don't need to compare. Stories aren't compared. They don't need to be comparative. No. They're narratives. They're narratives. So really sit with somebody and hear their story and realize how much you hold in common with them or, you know, or just reflect how it is crazy as this life is that it is ups and downs, but it is a gift. And we were chosen on the hierarchy to be human. So. 
obviously, <laughs> you know, on the tatum pole of all of our beautiful pieces of nature, then we need to be a little bit more respectful for it being a gift. Yes. To uh, be patient and show some self-compassion on our journey and our narrative. Oh, I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing it, that message. That's brilliant. And you're 100% right because I've interviewed probably uh, over 160 individuals uh, since I started this journey on podcasting and they're all sharing their story. And in every single one, there is something that ties us together, like we have something in common or we have had a similar experience or it never fails. It doesn't amaze me anymore. I'm going to go, yeah, that's about right. Here's another person, lovely person who I'm sharing an interview with and we have things in common. And I think it's the world over, right? <laughs> it just proves that it could be 160 people. It could be 1.6 million people. It could be a billion people. Um, we're all, we're just all the same. Yes. Yes. Which makes us part of that human, I mean, the, the animal kingdom, a million kingdom, right? To know that there are some things we share and we yeah. need to get back to that, to, to realize it's about connection and connection coming through stories and being together and being one with yourself too, finding that relationship with yourself, which is extremely, extremely important. Thank you, Artie, for being on the podcast. Uh, it's been you, really amazing speaking to you. You as well. And I look forward to seeing how your journey develops. What, did you say you're still working on the education and university piece? Yes, yes. I'm in my second year in my program, so I have, a couple, I have more, some more years to go. I wish you massive success with that. Yes. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful and another stage in your journey. Amazing. Yes. Take care. Bye for now. See you. Take care. Bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe and share at will. I'm always looking for more listeners and guests, so do get in touch, please. You can find me pretty easily by searching for Staying Alive UK. Thank you. Staying Alive UK. Share your story.